0: Hi, everyone. Today, we interviewed Kristen Deasy, mental health advocate and founder of The Human Condition. The Human Condition desires to change the narrative that mental health and faith are mutually exclusive. Through promoting hope, healing, and conversation, The Human Condition hopes to inspire those living with mental illness that God has a plan for them to be great saints in the midst of their suffering.
1: In this interview, we talked about the integration of faith and mental health, self-harm, suicide, and finding God in our suffering. I hope you guys enjoy. Hi, Kristen. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast. I discovered you actually somehow on Instagram. I'm not even sure how I found your account, but I found the human condition first. And I was just really intrigued by um, the human condition and this organization, because I myself have struggled with mental health issues and have faced a lot of stigma in the Catholic world. And mm-hmm. I know that Megan has as well in the Christian world. So yeah, we just wanted to talk about yourself, your own story and um, the human condition, the organization that you started. And so I guess just to start, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do, etc
2: yeah well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I think this is only my second podcast, so really exciting. Um, <laughs> so i'm I'm super honored. it's It's so fun to talk about, yeah, what I do and and just continue to spread the word. But yeah, like you said, my name is Kristen. Um, I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I recently just graduated college, so super excited about that. Can't wait to start paying loans. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, really, really looking forward to that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, just about a year ago, actually coming up on April 19th, this past year in quarantine, I officially launched this organization called the Human Condition. And it was something that was just on my heart, honestly, since high school. And was something that I thought I would only get to like in my 30s, you know, when I had kids and and want to kind of be more at home, but also still work. And always knew I wanted to start a nonprofit, but didn't know what capacity that would look like. And it was only a few months, really, before lockdown that I had started getting just really tangible ideas for what this organization would look like in prayer. So I just started writing them down and, and didn't know still when I would get to it. And then yeah, lockdown came, and I mean, yeah, the Holy Spirit really just ignited something of like, I need to do this now. Um, and so I did it, and I launched it just about a year ago. and it's been it's been such a joy to, yeah, run this organization and grow it and start it and kind of just fill the need that exists in the church to talk about um, these conversations. And so it is an organization um, striving to cultivate hope, healing, and conversation through the integration of faith and mental health. Um, so essentially, we, we really desire to change the narrative that mental health and faith are mutually exclusive. So I feel like, yeah, for years, it's kind of been, all right, mental health is over here in this conversation and faith is over here. Like, they don't mix.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: actually, it's quite the opposite. I mean, there's so much overlap and there has to be an overlap. Um, you know, the Lord has made us mind, body and soul. So why would he not want to deal with our mind? And why are we really ignoring the things of the mind? Um, so through promoting hope, healing and conversation, um, the organization really hopes to inspire those living with mental illness and honestly all those, but especially those with mental illness that God does have a plan for them and that's to be a saint, um, especially in the midst of their suffering. Um, so that's, that's kind of a little bit about the organization. Um, yeah,
0: (laughs) I think that's so, so needed and I love, you know, just, Your phrasing in that, you know, inspiring those to, you know, to live in hope and healing and also Mm. promoting conversation. I I think those Mm -hmm. are just three really, really great pillars. Um, What kind of inspired you to start this organization?
2: Yeah, so I kind of, um, I always grew up as a sensitive child. And um, I think a lot of times, like with parents having sensitive children, they just kind of, they just kind of ignore, not ignore, but they just think they're child sensitive and don't ever really look deeper into that of like, you know, maybe she is dealing something with something a little bit more clinical. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just think I was always dismissed as a sensitive child. Um, But I do think there were probably some missed flags of some early depression, some early anxiety. And so just because it was so untreated and and undiagnosed for so long, it really started to escalate towards um, high school and um I think yeah it's again a high school's another easy time to dismiss a lot of things you know you're hormonal you're a teenage girl um you know oh, there's yeah. I a lot always of say, like high and school's change the
0: worst like I would never go oh, back I think high it's schoolers have it like, so bad <laughs> it's, it's terrible
2: I think like as adults and I'm really I'm like how am I an adult I'm only 22 I'm still like 12 in my mind right but like as you're an adult like I think we don't give high school students enough credit. Like we're so removed from that time yeah. in our lives. We're like, Oh, I'll just suck it up. I'm like, I would never want to go back. Oh no. It is the hardest four <laughs> years of your life. I yep. There's nothing I've lived through in adulthood that compares to high school. I'll just say it. High school the worst. Don't send me back. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, yeah. So I just always think that's so funny, but um, so yeah, in high school, just things started really to, to climax there. Um, and I also went to a Catholic school and was pretty removed from the faith, um, especially I think in the midst of suffering, it's hard to reconcile with this God who, you know, is supposed to be like all rainbows and butterflies and you're li- experiencing living hell. And I'm like, how is this man like letting me go through all this pain? Like, this just doesn't make any sense. And so I think there's just like a lot of anger there. Um, and I was like, I want nothing to do with this faith thing, with this Catholic thing um, because life sucks. And if the church is claiming to be this like awesome place, like I'm not experiencing that. So it just must be false. So I, yeah, really had a distance from God and from the faith. And, um, right before my junior year of high school was, was definitely the worst kind of summer of, of my depression and and all of that. And I ended up attempting suicide. Um, and so I was hospitalized for about two weeks, missed the first few months of, of school. And then um, received incredible treatment, incredible healing and therapy through just an awesome team that I worked with. That it was the first time that I had really prioritized my mental health and prioritized like I'm going to take two whole months off of school to go to therapy every day from nine to two, like it was full time therapy, and it was so transformative to, yeah, be like my mind matters, and if my brain isn't functioning. Mm -hmm. my whole body's not going to function. Like it's the most important organ and I've neglected it for this long. Um, Like school can wait. My grades can wait. I need, I need to prioritize this. And so kind of around the same time. And as I was coming back to school full time, um, just kind of, yeah, my, my conversion back to the faith wasn't just one instant moment. It was definitely like a slow light switch turning on Mm -hmm. just a few different moments, but yeah, started, slowly returning back to the faith uh, kind of through my first confession coming back after a few years and a retreat and then ultimately um, getting to know some really awesome young adults who just lived such a virtuous and faith-filled life that I wanted and it was tangible joy and kind of just experiencing the, the deeper healing through Christ where therapy and medication was amazing and had healed a lot but there was still like if I'm not reconciling healing with like my creator and like where I've come from, like that is, that kind of seals the deal for healing of like, of yeah, the the faith and the spiritual aspect with, you know, what we're experiencing um, in the world and, and on a human level. So as, as that kind of conversion was happening and I began to open up about my mental health um, struggles, there was this tension of nobody knew how to talk to me about it and nobody um wanted to talk to me about it and everyone felt uncomfortable about it and it just seemed like okay that's your issue and like let's leave that outside the doors of the church like let's mm. leave that outside of these conversations and there was just and nothing was super explicit but it's so subtle just kind of like comments or or lack of saying anything like you can kind of pick up on People don't want to talk about this. People are uncomfortable and people kind of think less than of me because of these struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, you hear the, the classic, like, well, are you praying? Uh, like, do you trust God about this stuff? And I'm like, yeah, like <laughs> I do. But also there's a chemical imbalance in my brain. Thank you very much. Um, so I just, yeah, really was confronted with like, am I less than like reconciling these questions of, can I still be holy? Can I still be a saint? Like, can the Lord use me? to do good even though i have these issues. Um and the answer is yes. Um actually he wants to use our healing sometimes as a very vehicle of our holiness and the vehicle of our sanctification and that's that's where he speaks through um therapists or you know professionals in the mental health field. So it just kind of was set on my heart of like something needs to exist in the church where we're bringing these two conversations together because we're we're a rejecting people and And people aren't becoming saints because they're not in the church Mm -hmm. and they're not living out um, a relationship with God because they're projecting all of these lies that people are telling them about mental health. They're projecting that on God and think God thinks that about them and just what a disservice we're doing to people at the church. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of where where that inspiration came from back when I was 17. (laughs)
0: Thank yeah. you for sharing that and just your vulnerability and even sharing your own mental health journey. You know, I know yeah. it's it's not easy always to look back, but mm-hmm. it is really redemptive just to see where God has brought you and the good that he's bringing out of all this suffering.
2: Yeah.
1: And I have a very similar story. I was listening And I was like, oh my gosh, all of this I relate to. And I feel like you were telling my story a little bit there. Um, I love that you pointed out that we are mind, body, spirit. We are a holistic being. So if something Mm -hmm. is our with our mental health that will affect, you know, our physical health, our spiritual health. And we need to address, you know, all of those different areas to find healing. And that's something that I had to learn on my own journey. And, you know, dispelling some of those stigmas surrounding medication, surrounding going to therapy, and that you don't just need to pray it away. I went to a super mm-hmm. Catholic college, and I also grew up going to a uh, Catholic high school and just surrounded by parents and mentors that just did not understand mental health. And I was mm-hmm. also just written off as a sensitive hormonal teenage girl. Yep. Um, you know, it's crazy. You can be suicidal and be like, I want to die. And they're like, yeah. so yeah. Yeah, who knew? The drama so dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, man. So yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, again, for sharing about your story. And um, so with your organization, there are three main pillars uh, hope, healing, and conversation. Can you dive into um, each of those pillars for us?
2: Yeah, totally. Um, again, these were totally inspired by the Holy Spirit just when I was dreaming up what this organization would look like. And I feel like these three pillars really direct, like, yeah, whatever we continue to do in the organization and to make sure that they are upholding one of these pillars. And um, so the first one is hope, which I just think is so necessary. And it's, it's really promoting the idea of true hope, like true Christian hope, not just mm-hmm. this you know kind of vague optimism or positive attitude, but the hope in the resurrection, but in the midst of suffering. And so mm-hmm. I think like true Christian hope doesn't just dismiss suffering, but it embraces it. And it's like, it's okay to be sad, but also be hopeful. And it's okay to be disappointed, but be hopeful. I think we, we often think, again, that these two like feelings or experiences are, are not compatible, but hope doesn't necessarily mean like you're happy all the time. But it's like, my situation sucks right now, but I'm also hopeful that the resurrection is still real and that joy is still real on the other side. Um, And I think that gives people the opportunity and the permission to embrace their circumstances and embrace their suffering, um, to actually work through it and not, not just dismiss it. Because when we're dismissing suffering and dismissing pain, we're not actually becoming better. We're not actually healing. Um, We're just kind of living in like a delusional reality. Um, So I think, yeah, just promoting true Christian hope um, is necessary for anyone, um, you know, dealing with a mental illness or or mental struggle. Um, and so second healing, um, again, I mean, yeah, so necessary. We're all broken. We wouldn't need Jesus or salvation if we didn't need healing or we didn't need saving. So, I mean, if we're Catholic and I mean, the main guy, the main guy of our thing is Jesus. Like he wouldn't (laughs) exist if we were, we were fine on our own. So like already as Catholics, we understand this level of like, we need help. We need saving. We are broken. Um, But often in the church, that narrative doesn't exist when it comes to the mind, you know, like healing of the mind. It's just pray it away, like pray through it, trust God more. And I'm like, why? Like, why when this conversation is coming up, do we not think healing is important or as real as any other sort of healing? Um, And so this just misses such an opportunity to actually experience the healing God wants us to experience. And often that happens through therapy or a mental health professional. Um, you know, saints aren't being made because people aren't experiencing healing. Like saints are being made because we're healing and because healing is needed for holiness and sanctification. Um, so, yeah, really just promoting healing that applies to the body, mind and soul, um, not just the body, not just the soul, but also the mind. And then conversation. Um, I think this is kind of the necessary component for how do we promote healing and hope through talking about it, Um, talking about it on the pulpit, in classrooms, in youth groups, at the dinner table, on social media, like we're talking about it. Because when I was, you know, really coming with these questions and figuring it out, nobody was talking about it. Um, So yeah, therapy and the work of healing won't be normalized we're promoted until we're talking about it. Um, so really just bringing those conversations to the light. And that's that's really done through, through getting vulnerable and being okay with getting vulnerable because mm-hmm. I have to share my experiences and pain with others to let them know it's okay for them to do the same. Mm-hmm. If nobody's being vulnerable, then why would anyone want to just, you know, share their experiences? And it also like even, um, you know, with one of you guys said like, it was almost like I was sharing your story. It resonates so deeply with people, and how will anyone ever else? How will anyone else ever feel like, wow, someone else is going through this if nobody's sharing their, their experiences? Um, and I just, I experienced that power when in high school when I started to share about, um, yeah, my um, hospitalization and my depression and my suicide attempts. Like, I went to an all-girls high school, and I mean, so many girls were like, oh my gosh, I've been hospitalized, I've experienced this or that. And they would have never had the permission to share if I didn't share first. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, conversations just so necessary at the center of this Mm -hmm. to really encourage people to dive deep into their own stories, but to just, um, yeah, bring to light the conversation of mental health and faith um, integrated.
0: I love that. I think it's so important to, you know, look at look at ourselves and look at each other as complex human beings like god Mm -hmm. created us in his image and god is so complex you know and so i love that your pillars kind of kind of highlight that kind of you're Mm -hmm. you're highlighting like there are different aspects to us you know we're but all of these aspects you know are are connected and so if our, our mind is hurting and needs healing it's going to affect our body is going to affect our spiritual life and vice versa. And I think a lot of times, what people don't realize is that mental illness very often exhibits in the body. You know, mm-hmm. if you are really struggling mentally, you are going to be sick. Yeah. And just because we're so trained to look at just outward symptoms, I think a lot of times mm-hmm. people will say, like, well, it's because you're not eating healthy or you're not getting enough sleep and you're not drinking water. And while all of that is true, because once again, if we're Mm -hmm. taking care of our bodies, it is taking care of our minds as well. I think Mm -hmm. there's kind of a misconception there where people just say, you know, if you just ate healthy, this, you know, your depression will get a lot better. Or if you just got up and showered every morning, like you would feel a lot better. So what's kind of your response to that? Or maybe people who reject medication because they think, well, a healthy lifestyle is really all you need. You know, what, what, Mm -hmm. what, what kind of response do you have towards that sort of thinking?
2: Yeah, again, I think we're mind, body, and soul. Like we have to take care of each of those components for all three to thrive. Yeah. So if you need medication, great, take medication because I bet it'll impact your mood so that you wanna take care of your body. Right. <laughs> um, sometimes we need that buffer to like have the motivation or have kind of the stableness in our brain to want to take care of the rest of our, our bodies and our minds and our soul. Um, because when one of those components suffers they all suffer. Um, where I mean, I, I'm still trying to figure this out. Like, I definitely don't exercise as much as I need to. And I'm way more fatigued. Or sometimes my my depression kind of spikes a little bit, because I'm not super active. And I'm not taking care of my body as much. Or if I have a day where I'm just eating garbage, I'm probably going to feel a little bit down, you know, because I'm not filling my body with good things. So I mean, they all play off of one another. But it's yeah. When people are like, you just drink water and make your bed every morning and you're going to feel so much better, but they're just like, they're still kind of ignoring maybe thoughts in their mind or the way that they're internally feeling. I'm like, maybe your bed's not going to like resolve unresolved trauma or a childhood wound, you know, like you probably need to deal with that. Um, so I just think it's fascinating because yeah, all of those things are important, but again, I think we haven't learned as people, like, to reconcile our emotions and feel our emotions and sit with them and like be in tune with like what's your body and your mind telling you like how are you feeling how how are you reacting in certain situations or in certain relationships like that might trace back to something not that like we all need to like psychoanalyze ourselves but I think what misses the mark with people who just think you know eat healthy and, and drink a lot of water is they're still they're still ignoring the mind. Like those things mm-hmm. do benefit our mental health, but they're not paying attention to maybe um, the narrative that they have um, kind of ignored for for many years in their, in their mind that kind of just plays, like, you know, whether it's certain thoughts that are reoccurring or, um, you know, whatever it might be. So I just think, of course, like eat healthy, do all the things, but like also pay attention to your mind, um, pay attention to your prayer, like what's coming up in prayer. Um, where we need to healthfully engage all three of those components, because God could have made us any way He wanted. He didn't have to make us mind, body, and soul. He could have made us body and soul, but we're being, we're we're not living out of how God has created us when we're ignoring the mind, um, and we're really doing a disservice to ourselves and also to God to be like, sorry, dude, I think I know better, and this mind it, like doesn't really matter, so I'm just gonna ignore it. I think you made a mistake, you know, so. Um, I think yeah, a healthy balance of all three for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's almost like treating symptoms without looking at the root cause. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like, well, okay, why is it that my stomach hurts every single day and I can't eat mm-hmm. food, and, and mm-hmm. why is it that I'm losing my hair, and why is it, you know, instead of yeah. just being like, well, I guess I just need to do this or that to like, yeah, you know, put a bandaid on these problems. You know, looking at okay. Yeah something deep is affecting me like let's let's examine this let's figure this out yeah i I think i mean
2: my whole childhood like all through middle school all mostly all through high school until i was diagnosed i mean i was seeing GI doctor after GI doctor because i couldn't keep anything down i was constantly in a stomach ache i mean i was always Mm. sick just a myriad of symptoms Mm. that was like there is something so much deeper going on here and nobody ever asked like no doctor was like how how are you feeling like are you happy no like the answer is no Where it was like yeah this constant anxiety I mean they were testing for celiac and all of these allergies because I was just Mm -hmm. a constant ball of nerves where I could not eat because I was so anxious Mm -hmm. but didn't have the tools like nobody was yeah giving me the practical tools to deal to deal with daily anxiety Um, and it was manifesting in a physical way um, oh, yeah. where yeah we just ignore those things so much
0: yeah that that like everything you just said that was completely my experience I mean I was, oh yeah I was going to doctor after doctor because it was like why is it that? I cannot eat without feeling so mm-hmm. sick, and mm-hmm. I can't keep anything in my body, and I'm not getting nutrients, and you know my face mm-hmm. is breaking out in horrible cystic yeah. acne, and like just so so many things. I was like, what could all of this be? And yeah, they always looked to like, <laughs> like maybe you have a gluten allergy. Maybe try going dairy free. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, have you tried drinking more water? And and it <laughs> wasn't until it was so funny because I finally did get on medication for anxiety. Um, just to manage anxiety, and it was like mm-hmm. magic. Like suddenly, these other symptoms start disappearing. I was like, "Oh, my face is clearing up. Oh, I can actually eat food without feeling sick all the time. Like, oh, I have so much yeah, energy. Oh, yeah. I can focus." <laughs> right. It's just, yeah, it is really so important to note how you know when we do focus on healing our minds. Like, a lot of those other things fall into place, and mm-hmm. also get healing.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is so fascinating too because again, how the Lord wants to use these things to make us the best versions of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like, Kristen with anxiety, Kristen with depression is not the best version of herself. Mm -hmm. But like, when I went on medication, I didn't, Mm -hmm. I like didn't know who I was because it was the happiest I had felt, I mean, my whole life. I was like, Mm -hmm. people feel this way all the time. (laughs) And then that allowed me to experience like the joy that Christ wants to bring us. Like, Mm -hmm. I would have never been able to experience the lasting joy of Christ yes. if it weren't for medication, because my brain wasn't even stabilized mm. to, to get to that point. So it's just, it's so incredible. Like, why wouldn't we want people to go on medication? And yeah, right. I think it is probably over prescribed and there needs to be a caution with it. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. You know, obviously, like, don't just go on it by yourself, like, go on it with a doctor and everything. But I mean, yeah it's just transformative at what people are missing out on Mm -hmm. and who they actually are without, you know, these chronic debilitating illnesses of the mind. Um, It's just, yeah, it's pretty incredible.
0: Yeah. I remember my doctor, thankfully I had a really good doctor, but I was really scared because a lot of, these stigmas had really gotten to me. And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't, like, don't want to be dependent on something. And, mm-hmm. and she was just, you know, so like patient with me, but she's like, we're not adding something. We're replacing something that's missing that you yeah. need. And yeah. she was like, I'm not going to pressure you, but I just want you to know that I think this is going to change your life. And she was mm-hmm. right. <laughs> yeah. Oh
2: my gosh. Yeah. So true. I,
1: I faced so many stigmas and myself had so many stigmas surrounding starting to take, medication. And I had that same feeling where I was like, wait, people feel like this all the time. They don't constantly fear the worst thing happening Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. think about dying. And it it drastically helped my physical health. I could work out. I could take care of myself better in that way. Exactly. Before, you know, I actually, I was working out. I was eating super healthy because I faced like the other stigma of, you know, just drink more water, do this, go yeah, vegan. Yeah. I was vegan for a while. And that was, is what's going to fix your mental health. And it was like, I got to a point where that didn't even help me at all anymore. I was so mm-hmm. depressed, so suicidal. And then I started taking medication and I was like, oh my gosh, this was the baseline mm-hmm. that I needed for all these other things like healthy yeah. eating, exercising, therapy, prayer, mm-hmm. all of these things to actually work because something is just really off in my yeah. brain. And I had the mm-hmm. same mm-hmm. experience of being like, I don't even know who I am. Like I, I grew up, you know, because I didn't get help from a very young age as I should have because of these stigmas, but just with depression, and anxiety. And I thought that was me. That was a mm-hmm. part of my personality that I was just this pessimistic, anxious, yeah. overdramatic person. And then I started taking medication and I was like, wait, I'm actually super social, super joyful, happy person I didn't even Mm -hmm. know that it was it was crazy but I never would have realized that or you know like you said experience the joy of Christ that I can experience now if I had not started taking medication yeah
2: yeah and that I mean this is kind of going on a tangent but I think it is important because a lot of people will ask me like well what is um you know how do you tell if it's just like spiritual warfare or actual mental illness Mm -hmm. and I mean I don't know. I think every person you're going to have to personally discern that and figure that out. I think for it's kind sure. of hard to tell, but I mean, how easy is it for the enemy to use that? Like you were pessimistic and thinking you're this overdramatic person, like how easily can the enemy enter into these real sufferings of the mind and real illnesses and twist them to be like, this is my identity. I am depressed. I am this overdramatic, pessimistic, like yes. miserable person where of course, the depression and anxiety is probably making you feel that way. But then the enemy sneaks in and is like, this is who you are, this is your identity, and traps you in it. So I mean, there is such a there is such a clashing of like a real illness and spiritual warfare, because it's such a weak spot for people. And where does the enemy pray like at our weakest point. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then when Yeah, we are on medication and engaging in therapy, we can recognize those lies and be like, nope, sorry, not today. Like, I'm not believing that lie. You know, it gives us the ability to actually combat any spiritual warfare that would be going on um, on top of it. So I just think that's important to note because it does, yeah, both both can exist at the same time.
0: Yeah. No, I'm so glad you brought that up too, because, you know, scripture even tells us the enemy is the accuser. Mm -hmm. And so I think- that's what's dangerous about a lot of these stigmas or misconceptions is that he can take them and use them to accuse you. And Mm -hmm. um, this kind of, I feel like leads, it's a good segue, but um, I think a common misconception or stigma or um, even just a a dangerous idea that's kind of perpetuated is suicide is selfish. Mm. Um, What is kind of your response to people who either believe that or say that What is your reply to that?
2: It's so fascinating because I, before I was yet diagnosed or anything, I was a hundred percent the person who was like, suicide is so selfish. Like, do these people not understand that they're leaving families behind? Like, I just saw it as such, like such as a choice that these people are making um, and not as like, oh, this is the result of an illness, of a disease. So I I just think it's fascinating because I was kind of on both sides of that. But I mean, I believed that, First off, because of what I saw in the media um, and what I saw, I just remember growing up and it oddly, like, I just remember there were quite a few news stories of people who had committed suicide and um, just like, I guess in Pittsburgh or something, but um, just the way that the news talked about these people really stuck with me. And so, because that's what I was exposed to in terms of, you know, people who were mentally ill um, or, you know, had died by suicide. I, I believed what I was hearing in the, in the media. And then, you know, we see it in movies and it's like, you know, these crazy asylums and it's just super, it's super exaggerated to a point of like, just, I, I, yeah, I don't know. It's like, it's not real. Like the way it's portrayed in movies, it's just not real. And so it's kind of like, yeah, these people are crazy and they're selfish. Um, so because that was my only experience that really prevented me from reconciling with how I was feeling because I projected all of those stereotypes that I believed on myself. And so then after, you know, I'm, you know, I go through all of this, I attempt suicide, I'm diagnosed and everything. I'm still reconciling with that because I'm like, am I selfish? Like that I did this and like, I'm causing my family so much pain and I felt so much guilt. And that really took me a long time to work through. Um, and then, you know, finally working through that, I realized like, no, suicide is real and it's a real side effect of, mm-hmm. of these, these problems that especially if they're going undiagnosed or untreated, I mean, yeah, it makes sense that someone's going to feel that low in their, in their life. And so I think when people continue to say like suicide is selfish, I mean, I mean, they're just wrong. <laughs> they're just wrong, but they're also only believing what they know. Like, people only know what they know about mental illness from what they, you know, hear on TV or in the movies, or, um, you know, whatever else it is, if they don't know someone personally, or haven't experienced it themselves. um, I think it makes sense why people still believe that it's sad, it shouldn't, it shouldn't exist. And this narrative shouldn't exist that suicide is selfish. Um, Because yeah, I mean, it just goes to show like at what how much of a miseducation we have on these issues. Um, And I remember, I think this was as I was coming back into the church um, at my high school, they would give us like these examination of consciences to read before confession. And oh my gosh, do these examination of consciences need updated? Because, Mm -hmm. Mm. oh yeah, it was just, I was like, and I think that's when I started really struggling with this idea, because I think one of the, the questions was like, have you ever harmed yourself? Have you ever like attempted suicide or um, engaged in like, you know, like eating disorder behaviors or whatever else. And I was like, this could be so, so like, I don't even know the word, just someone who's struggling with these issues and wasn't at the point where I was kind of was dealing with them. I mean, that could really push someone away. And it, oh, yeah. it does, you know, like really reading does. those on an examination of conscience and feeling like, oh my gosh, is this disease and what this disease caused me to do? Is that a sin? Like,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and I am sin because of this sickness and, you know, I'm no theologian, but like, no, <laughs> like you're right. sick, no. you know, like, um, your, your, um, intellect is impaired. Your free will, I think is impaired. If you're really suffering with some of these issues. So I just think, yeah, I mean, we really need as a, as a church to deep dive into these conversations because what do we believe like about, about these people? Um, Like if we believe this sickness and this disease is real, then like in no way is that a sin because I mean, their mind is impaired. Um, Like in no way are they selfish or making this decision on their own. Um, And yeah, I just, I know so many people who that, that narrative really affects and it, it definitely affected me for a while. And I held a ton of guilt for like, oh my gosh, how could I be so selfish? Like my family, like how, how painful that must be for them. And it's all my fault. And yeah, that's just a very dangerous kind of sentiment that I think a lot of people continue to believe um, that. I mean, it's only going to be through conversation that we, that we dismiss that um, and really proclaim the truth to people about what, what these illnesses are. Yeah
1: there's, there's still a huge misconception that the Catholic church teaches that anyone who commits suicide automatically goes to hell. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: if you read the catechism that, you know, it's what they said, no, we don't know if they go to hell or not, because Mm -hmm. even though suicide is, you know, categorized as a mortal sin, the person very likely was dealing with um, their Mm -hmm. free will being affected, their intellect being affected, Mm -hmm. you know, sickness of the mind. And, I remember, so when I was uh, 13, my cousin committed suicide and mm-hmm. as a 13 year old, you don't know how to deal with that. And I was surrounded right. by people who also did not understand mental health, did not understand how to deal with that. He was bipolar and had struggled for, since he was very young and was just never properly yeah. treated. And I remember thinking like, that was just so selfish of him. You know, I was a little 13 year old I didn't understand. And that's what I was hearing around me. And I, you know what, I would always pray for his soul and pray for him, but I, I didn't mm-hmm. know where he was. Um, and I guess I still don't, but yeah. yeah. And then, you know, when I got to high school and especially into college, when I started actively struggling with suicidal thoughts and um, planning, you know, and wanting to commit suicide, I remember just opening up when I was at my very worst to someone and they, Berated me. They said that is just so selfish of you to even be thinking about that. Like your sister, yeah. your mom. How could you think that? And in, in me, I was like, it just made me feel worse. I was like, I mm-hmm. feel like I already feel like trash, like the scum of the earth, because I'm severely depressed. And you're just making it yeah. worse. Like you're making me even push further to that of like I don't even know what to do. I don't want to talk to anyone else about this. Right. And right. That was so much of the response that I got, and it's just so horrible and I know that's what so many people are also hearing
2: Mm -hmm. yeah and it's and it's tough because yeah I mean I heard the same thing of like you know well so many people love you and yeah like just kind of guilting you into that mindset and I know they're coming at it with good intentions like Mm -hmm. people just aren't equipped to handle these situations and it's because I mean we don't talk about them we don't know um yeah, nobody's been told, like, what are the right things to say? And I think that can differ person to person of what is a good thing to say or not. But I mean, we're only going off of any information that we've, we've loosely heard on, on the media or, um, you know, from anything else. Like, we're not taught this in schools. We're definitely not talking about it in church. Um, so, of course, like, the way people are going to want to help is to kind of try to remind you, like, who you're leaving behind. But that's actually probably the worst thing to do. Um so it's yeah it's really tough because i think people are coming at it with good intentions but often those good intentions are a lot more harmful than they than they think they are um yeah i i remember that as well like not wanting to open up to anyone because anything that anyone else would say was just making me feel worse about the situation um which yeah is just is is really a problem and i've seen so much growth in my family especially with just kind of dealing with, um, yeah, having a daughter who has these issues. And I mean, they made many mistakes along the way of things they said that did not make me feel a whole lot better. But just kind of as I've grown and have really learned to manage these things, I've been able to kind of sit with them and walk through like, okay, here's what not to say, you know, when Mm -hmm. someone's really in a crisis situation. um, And here's what is probably best for them. And I think that's what it's going to take is, again yeah through through vulnerability and it, it does suck because so so often i was like i'm going through all of this healing and therapy and i'm changing and i'm doing the work and you guys aren't doing anything like you're still doing the same stuff you were doing you know a year ago um and it's it's tough because it was there is a point of it where a little bit was up to me to kind of help them and help them understand and make it real for them um which can be really frustrating and not not everyone's able to do that, which is totally understandable. Um, But I think, yeah, it does. It's going to take other people, you know, talking with especially older people, um, not that my parents are old, but, you know, the older generation that really didn't grow up with these topics to to help them understand. Um, So I, I, I do have a lot of hope for that, especially through the human condition.
1: Yeah. And unless you've been in that place of being that low of thinking about or planning suicide, it you can't understand that the person is just not thinking rationally, is not thinking yeah. logically, is not thinking yeah. is not really fully like grasping like what it would do to their friends or family or like saying something mm-hmm. like that it just isn't helpful. It's just like our, I just remember the mindset I was in where I look back and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, how was I even mm-hmm. thinking that?" But that's really just what I was thinking and that's what felt real and was real, yeah, I was sick, my mind was sick, and yeah, and if you haven't been there, it's hard to understand. And I know that you mentioned, you know, um, talking to your family about what to say and what not to say, but you know, for our listeners and anyone who might be dealing with this or having someone in their life that doesn't know what to say, um, to them that is really struggling with their mental health, what do you think is, you know, helpful to say to someone that is really struggling?
2: Yeah, um. Hmm. That is a good question, because I think it is so personal, like, Mm -hmm. you know, the way that I need to be assisted, especially if I'm, you know, really at a low point, I think the way that every person needs to be assisted could look a little bit different, you know, kind of like our love languages, like, what's the best way that I need loved in this situation. Mm -hmm. And so I think at least for me, And I think, I think this is a lot for men, like men want to fix things. So, you know, I will express to my dad or, you know, my fiance, and they kind of just want to like solve the problem. And I just want to be listened to, you know, like, I just want to say like, this is how I'm feeling. And I don't need you to give me an answer, but I need you to validate that experience. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not like they can't understand it to just be like, yeah, that sucks. And you know, that is, that's valid that you're experiencing that. Um, where I would just get so furious when you know I would explain this is how I'm feeling, and it's well, if you just did this, like that would go away. You know, like don't give me a solution. Just listen to me. you know, like my therapist is the one who's supposed to give me a solution.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so I, I just really appreciate when people are able to sit with me. Um, and sometimes that just means not saying a lot and just just listening. Um, I think even if I've kind of been the person where people come to, as they, you know, express their, their struggles or whatever they're going through, it is a temptation. Like as humans, we want to fix and get people out of their situations and out of their suffering. Um, but sometimes that can only push people away a little bit further. They just want to be received. Um, so I just kind of try to remind everybody of that, of like, just receive the person. It's it's not about you, but just like, listen to them. Um, and then I think another thing is if that person's in therapy, like, care about their therapy. Like what, ask them what's going on in therapy and, you know, they can share it to the level that they want to share. But I think, you know, having parents or having friends that are like interested of like, you know, how's therapy going? Like, are you learning anything? Like, um, you know, what are some of these skills that you might be learning? Um, anything that you think could be beneficial to me, like skill wise, um, I think that could be really helpful. I mean, it's just like, you know, you go to a doctor's appointment to get tests done or whatever, and like, your parents are probably gonna be like, hey, how does those tests come back? Like, how that lab work? How about doctor's appointment come back? So I think showing that same interest of like, this is your child's well being. Um, and you, sh- you should be interested in that. Um, so I think those are kind of two big things of just yeah, constantly showing um, interest. And I think also checking in with like, how do you how can I best love you through this? How can I best mm-hmm. support you? Like making it about the other person. And again, not about themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, constantly checking in of, yeah, what what is best? What is going to make you feel more, most safe, most comfortable, most supported um, through this situation? Um, I think that can be really helpful. Because I think also that gives the individual the chance to think about, oh, how do I need support in this? Like, how do I want to feel loved and cared for by those in my life because I think sometimes we don't think about that and we do think we can just white knuckle through it but you really need the support of everyone around you I mean especially I think with mental illness like there's so many lifestyle changes that occur as a result of it that if not everyone's on board and like is understanding what these changes are like that can be really difficult because it's just like whoa Chris is a brand new person like who is this But if they're involved in the healing process with you and involved in the recovery, they have a little bit more of an idea of what's going on. Um, And I think it just helps the individual adjust more, kind of on the other side of that, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I know that a part of your story, I read an article that you wrote about um, self harm and why people engage in this behavior. And there is so much stigma surrounding self-harm um, you know we mm-hmm. talked about the stigma surrounding suicide but self-harm is very misunderstood mm-hmm. so I was wondering if you could you know shed some light on that topic and talk about why people self-harm and why it's not just some attention-seeking behavior
2: mm-hmm. yeah again it's so funny because so many of these topics like I before I experienced them I mean I was the most stereotypical person about them again I was like that's so selfish why would anyone intentionally hurt themselves so I just think it's so interesting you know like the Lord not that he you know wanted me to experience the suffering but he's really used this to kind of show like such a transformative um, a transformation in mindset that I've experienced um, because yeah growing up thought self-harm was just so so crazy and so selfish, and you know, then I am, am tempted to do it, and I do engage in it. Uh, well, did engage in it, not currently, but you know, I I did start to engage in it, and um, it was just like, oh my gosh, how did I become this person? Like, how did I become the person who who wanted to engage in self harm? And it was so comforting to talk about it in therapy, and for them to provide actual psychological reasons of like why a person finds relief through physical pain um, because it made me feel less crazy and it's like oh actually this this, this makes sense why people engage in this behavior um, and I think for a lot of people it's feeling feeling an intense emotion so you're already feeling an intense emotion but sometimes it's a relief to feel an even intenser emotion through like a physical pain rather than a psychological pain mm-hmm. um, and again if you've never experienced this I mean it does feel it's hard to wrap your, your mind around um, if you've never experienced it before. Um, again, I think for, for other people, it's a need to feel something else to distract themselves from what they're feeling. Um, you know, kind of kind of an escape out of whatever whatever psychological distress they're in. Um, other people they can do they can engage in um, self harm behavior to express build up emotions to express you know low self esteem or self loathing. It's a coping mechanism. Um, for a lot of people, I know I, I probably fell into this category to feel a sense of control. Um, I mean, yeah, I think probably for me, it was to feel something to distract myself, but also a sense of control of, I can't really control the psychological pain that I'm experiencing, but I can control this pain. Um, and I mean, yeah, it's, it is, I mean, psychologically, there is, my therapist explained it to me once, like when you do engage in self-harm behavior, there is... I don't know if it's a chemical or a hormone, but there is something released in the brain that is a relief hormone. Mm -hmm. So even though it's painful, I mean, it is relieving to people, um, which is just fascinating to to understand how the mind works and how the mind kind of responds to these, these different things. Um, But yeah, there's such a a stigma around it. And I was really, really apprehensive to kind of disclose to anybody that I was experiencing it because Mm -hmm. it also just made me feel like a failure. feel like um, that I was, really weak that I had to resort to this type of behavior. Um, and that was sometimes, you know, what I needed to get through the day. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, if you look at it also, some people it's as like, kind of like an addictive habit. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. any sort of addiction, like it's Mm -hmm. not good for you, but it provides some sort of relief, It's Mm -hmm. some sort of relief for whatever else you're experiencing um, in the moment. So it does make sense once people kind of look into it a little bit deeper. so, yeah, that's that's kind
0: of my experience with it. Yeah, I think that's really helpful, you know, especially for people who haven't been through that experience and don't mm-hmm. struggle in that way to just kind of like step into the shoes and of someone who does and kind of, you know, you're probably not going to understand it to the extent of being like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. But you can mm-hmm. at least see that it's not random. <laughs> there is. Kind yeah, of like, yeah. A pro. I feel like purpose is the wrong word, but you know what I'm saying? You know, like there there is a a reason and that, yeah, it's not just like a a random
2: Right. I think (laughs) very rarely do people do things that make no sense. You know, like I think we look at a lot of things with mental illness and like, that makes no sense. I'm sorry. Like there might be some dumb people out there just, you know, who do crazy things, but I don't think humans do things for no reason. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think there's a reason for everything we do, even if it doesn't make sense. I mean, even anxiety, like anxiety is an irrational fear, but to that person, it makes sense. Like what their brain is telling them in the moment makes sense to them. Right. Um, so I think you can look at any behavior and there's some sort of psychological reason that that person's doing that, um, even if it doesn't make sense to everybody. Um, I mean, there, there's something going on. You know, I just, I don't think most people do things because they don't have a reason. I don't know. I just think yeah. we're human. We have intellect um even if the intellect's impaired we do things with a reason behind them Mm -hmm. I don't know that's that's just my opinion on that but Mm -hmm. and I think especially like before I engaged in self-harm it made no sense to me and then I started doing it and I was like wow this Mm -hmm. feels good and I understand this now Mm -hmm. um not that it's a good decision but it does make sense to me and why the brain kind of signals us to do certain things like that Mm -hmm. um yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's tough because, yeah, there's so much in the mental health field that's so unknown to people and it's so, it, it doesn't manifest on the outside. You know, there's so much going on, obviously, mm-hmm. psychologically, that um, other people around us don't don't see what's happening inside of our minds or, or see our rationale for things. Um, so it, it's, it's a lot harder to, to explain to people and, and kind of flesh out for them, which I think is, yeah, the reason for all of these stigmas and stereotypes.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a dopamine release. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And to note that self-harm can take the form of not just cutting, but like burning yourself. um, Yeah. Pinching yourself, scratching yourself, picking at your nails in some ways, which is an anxiety thing, but also can be a self-harm or Mm -hmm. I know that I would just withhold myself from food. So it can take a lot of different forms, but yeah, it's definitely a complex topic. Yeah.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I love that your your organization is called the Human Condition, right? You know, and mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about even just kind of like what it looks like to be human. <laughs> it's very yeah. complex, and um, I think it's it's really neat that you emphasize um, that no one's exempt from suffering, whether mm-hmm. physical or mental. That it's you know part of our human condition, and I even think of. Jesus himself became human he yeah the incarnation I think is just so such a tangible reminder that the Lord is near to us in our suffering and you know I I think you note on your website too that you know the saints too were very mm-hmm. <laughs> very yeah when it came to suffering um so for you personally in your own life how have you seen yourself grow closer to God through your struggles with mental illness?
2: Yeah, I think um, it really came from this place of, you know, when I was, when I was really struggling and and feeling far from the Lord, I blamed so much of my suffering on him. Um, And, you know, I was like, why, you know, why am I experiencing this? Like, not only is this suffering affecting me, but it's affecting my family. Um, And how could you allow me to go through this? And that kind of, yeah, allowed me to grapple with like, what is the human condition? Like, what does it mean to be human? And I mean, to be human, like we're guaranteed suffering and whatever that yeah. suffering looks like, it's going to look different for everybody. But some of that suffering for people is going to manifest, you know, through, through mental struggles and through mental illness. Um, and so kind of, you know, grappling with just the overall question of suffering um, on this retreat that I was in, in high school, I just. At at the time, I don't think I had the words or really the theological understanding for what I was experiencing, but I just remember kind of recognizing for the first time that it's through suffering where we're closest to God. Like it was the point of suffering that he paid the price for our salvation. Like he could have paid the price for our salvation through a walk in the park if he wanted to, you know, but he decided to die. Like he decided to endure physical human pain to redeem us. So it's, it's through that pain, it's through that pain on the cross where we're closest to him in our own suffering, um, because that is what, that's the means he used to redeem us. Um, so it's likewise for us, it's our own suffering that, we're re- that we can be redeemed and offer it up to him and, and where we're closest to him and where he's glorified. So again, I don't think 17 year old Kristen really understood that, but I just remember feeling like suffering it's almost a privilege. And it's a privilege we're guaranteed, like on this side of heaven, we're all guaranteed to suffer, but it's what do we do with that suffering um, and how, how are we made holy through it? Um, and so just, yeah, I remember then kind of just being able to experience the Lord a lot more through my struggle with mental illness. And before it was just very separate, but then kind of after that, it just became so intertwined and I, I saw him a lot more in it. Because um, it just it deepened my prayer life. It helped me understand more of who I am, um, and it allowed me to, yeah, just tend to these deep wounds that were preventing me from a deeper intimacy with the Lord, and that were causing me to not be the best version of myself. Um, and that goes for everyone. Like you don't have to have a mental illness to experience that. Like we are all wounded. We're all bro- broken. So it's through yeah healing um that we're actually going to grow closer to God because these wounds kind of act as like blind spots and we act out of them, we sin out of them um, so it's not until we recognize them that that they're going to be tended to or that they're, that they're going to be healed um, and so on top of you know the diagnosable clinical depression and anxiety, I was you know tracing back just a lot of these past experiences that were really affecting me and that were also heightening my depression and anxiety um, and so as a, as a result and of overcoming them, um, I mean, yeah, my prayer life grew so more, so much more. Um, there was such a, a deepening of intimacy there. Um, mm-hmm. And I learned so much about myself of like the, uni- the unique way that I've been created. Like I'm not like anyone else. The way that I think and perceive the world around me is so unique to me. And it was through therapy that I learned, like you learn how your brain works and you learn the way that you... Um, yeah, like live in this world and perceive the world and the way that you interact with others. Um, and again, like we heal a lot, just all of that, understanding that just allowed me to become a, a, a more integrated person. Again, mind, body and soul, I was able to, to integrate all of these components um, and the healing that resulted, it wasn't just for me, but to be a better gift of myself for those around me. Um, which is our ultimate vocation, like our vocation is to love, which is to give ourselves completely as a gift. And so healing allowed me to be able to, to be the best gift for others in my life, um, to give myself more freely and and more wholly, um, and not just give this, I mean, we're still broken, but not to give this broken Kristen to other people. And, um, it just allowed me to open myself up more to, yeah, the ways the Lord wants to use me and use my, my suffering um to to bring healing to those around me as well um so yeah i i just think it's there's such a deep well of um the ways in which healing and and using our struggles with mental illness to grow closer to god like there's just an abundance of grace there um that the lord wants to use and i just want more people to to experience that i think a lot of people close themselves off from that um, but I mean, yeah, there's, there's so much there. There's so much grace and, and mercy and healing that is available to us if, if we engage in healing.
1: Yeah. I love that you touched on, you know, the topic of redemptive suffering. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was scrolling through your Instagram and I was reading a post where you were talking about the anniversary of the date that you um, had tried to commit suicide And Mm -hmm. I just wanted to read a part of that caption here because I just thought it was so beautiful. Uh, You say, some people don't understand why I remember this day every year. They think I'm dwelling on the past or not allowing myself to move on. It's quite the opposite. Remembering today fills me with so much hope for the future, gratitude for the gift of my life, and the encouragement to continue living. Ignoring today would be to ignore how far I have come, but more importantly, how much Christ has redeemed the darkest parts of my story. How can we enjoy and rejoice in the resurrection if we don't first acknowledge Good Friday? Redemptive suffering is as Catholic as you can get and denying it would be anything but Catholic. Mm -hmm. The Lord has claimed this day and completely transformed it as he did with the cross and continues to do with all of our suffering and brokenness. There is beauty in the breaking and I'm going to take the time to relish in that beauty today. And I, I think that's so beautiful that you touched on that just because we're suffering or, or struggling, it doesn't mean that God is not close to us. No, he wants to come into those dark places and be with us Mm -hmm. and transform us through them. And I think a lot of times when people are struggling with their mental health, they feel like God is far from them. And I was just, yeah, do you have any advice for maybe our listeners that are struggling with their mental health and are struggling to stay close to God or feel like God is close to them?
2: Yeah, I just think, I mean that, yeah, I haven't read that, that caption in a while. And I mean, it's just, yeah, just kind of hits me every time. I'm like, dang, yeah, there's, there's so much, there's so much beauty, but in the pain, like there, there's so much, yeah, just joy, but because of the pain. And I just continue to think of like, I'm looking right now in my bedroom across like as Catholics, we literally have the death of Jesus as a symbol everywhere we go. Like, do we ever say like, Oh, like, why are we just dwelling on the death of God? Like we need to get over that. You know, it happened. It was sad. Like, let's just move on. Like, no, we've claimed it as, as our symbol. I mean, it is our symbol. We've literally taken pain and redeemed it. Like the Lord has taken the worst thing we have death and suffering and redeemed it. And he wants to do the same for us at whatever it is, whether it's a mental illness, struggle or any struggle it's not for no reason. Like he desires to be close to you in the suffering and he wants to redeem it. Mm. Um, and I mean, it, I mean, that is as Catholic as it gets. Like he would not have died and used that as our salvation to, to gain our salvation. If it didn't mean anything. I mean, I think again, we live as, as we think like so many things are random or things happen for no reason. Like the Lord is intentional and the Lord he's just intentional and nothing is random for him. I mean, we're mind, body, and soul for a reason. We suffer for a reason. The cross is our symbol for a reason. Um, And I just think the church downplayed that. So I just, yeah, encourage people that like your experience is valid and the Lord desires to use it. And he wants to make you a saint. And it's through those struggles that he's going to make you a saint. Um, Yeah. I just, I mean, that's just what encourages me every day of, if I'm not suffering today, I'm probably doing something wrong. And not that I want to suffer, but like suffering is a privilege. And the Lord is close to us when we suffer and he allows us to suffer to make us great. Um, you know, don't go out there looking for suffering like it'll come. <laughs> but <Yeah>. I think <laughs> <It will come. laughs> when, yeah, like when we're living these integrated lives, mm-hmm. we're actually more aware of the suffering we're experiencing. Um, but when we're just ignoring and kind of trying to live in a utopia, we're doing it wrong. Um, I mean, it's kind of like Lent, like what is Lent without the suffering of the penance, you know, like Easter, Easter Sunday is not as glorious or it's not as worth it. If I feel like I didn't really, not that the work is me doing it, but if I didn't feel like I struggled to get here, you know what I mean? Like we, we kind of need that. Like you need good Friday for, for Easter Sunday. Um, and so as just as much as for us, we need the suffering to experience. The true joy of Christ and to experience um heaven
0: yeah yeah and I think you said it earlier too it's it's when we're suffering that we're closest to Jesus you know because mm-hmm. he I mean I just think of all of the suffering he went through and now in Hebrews it talks about how we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with our every weakness mm-hmm. and you know and so it yeah it's easy to slip into the perspective that we're far from god or god is somehow not hearing us when we're in this deep suffering but i think what mm-hmm. you're saying is so important that you know we can't experience our healing and 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 god's resurrection in our life without going through that death mm-hmm. <laughs> and going yeah, through that yeah. time mm-hmm. in the grave and that it's it's in those those moments that we often learn so much about ourselves and so much about god and it's mm-hmm. so clear to us what he's doing and so yeah. yeah, thank you so much just for your, your wisdom through your own experiences oh, and thanks. your openness. I think you've really lived out that conversation pillar <laughs> that you're <Yeah>. perpetuating. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I Jackie and I both will just be praying for you and praying for the human condition because I just mm-hmm. think God has really wonderful things
1: intended for this ministry. Yeah, I mm, can thanks. definitely see the Holy Spirit working through you and through your organization. And you really do live out a big part of the mission of our podcast, which is to talk about the uncomfortable topics in life, mm-hmm. to bring to light the things that are often laced with so much shame, and that is mental health. And yeah, yeah, this is a big part of our heart of our podcast, and we're so honored to have you come on and talk about your story. And I think it will be really helpful to our listeners. Mm-hmm
2: yeah well thank you so much i mean yeah i'm just so grateful that you guys have a podcast you know dedicated to talking about these uncomfortable situations and topics um because i mean yeah the church is about the uncomfort you know we're not here for comfort so we might as well get used to the uncomfortable um and i'm just yeah i'm just so grateful that um you've given me the space to share about my story and about the human condition